Hey, welcome back to the One to One podcast. We have a special guest today, a friend of mine, Father Jonathan Meyer. Father, say hi to the folks. Hey, good to be with you all and good to see you again, Kevin. Good to see you, Father. So Father Dan is still uh, traveling around and hearing a lot of confessions. He, he told me uh, over the weekend he, he heard between 500 and 600 confessions, he thinks, from the sisters and the children. So one of the reasons I'm excited to have Father Meyer in here, we'll get into later, is about uh, his patron saint who heard a lot of confessions. But before we get into that, Father, I want to introduce you a little bit to the one-to-one viewers. Uh, many people in America know you now, but there might be a few out there who do not. Father Meyer is the pastor of all saints in Guilford, Indiana. Uh, it's four parishes sort of merged into one. And uh, he's also the cross, the head cross country coach of the local public high school. And they're good. I mean, this, this is a good team. And Father is the coach of the public high school. Not a lot of Catholic priests nowadays are welcomed, I imagine, I don't know, into public high schools. But Father's not only welcomed, but he's leading them to uh, some of the best cross-country runners in the state of Indiana. Father is a few miles away as the Indiana crow flies from Hoosiers, where the, the great sports movie Hoosiers was filmed. And um, Father, so the reason why Father and I have, have become friends and, and gotten to know each other, Father is filled with joy. And, and I'll just give one testament to his joy. Before COVID, Father had a, uh, you know, a few followers on YouTube. People would, you know, check in every now and then to see what's going on in All Saints. Then COVID hit. Within about a year, Father had 30,000 followers from around the world, not just the country, but the world that said, I need what this guy is selling. And Father was selling joy during a very dark time. So, Father, this is you and I sort of, um, I guess we got to know each other even before COVID, but uh, Father, we'll, we'll just break it open right here. I, I think I think a couple of years ago you hung out with some priests down in Florida, and you contacted me thereafter, and that's how we got to know each other. What, what's the story there? Yeah, actually, I, you know, I was thinking about that because you had sent that introductory email. I actually contacted you directly after a silent retreat that Father Hollowell and I did. I took your book for the priests we need to save the church. Uh, on a silent retreat, and that's what I actually used for my prayer and meditations and Father Hollowell. And every night um, we would have a dinner, and at the dinner we would just just discuss what we had read and prayed about throughout the day. And so I kept talking about this book that I was reading, and I contacted you actually the day I got back from that retreat. Was just like this book is amazing. I absolutely love it. And uh, and Hollowell in the back of your book, the priest we need to save the church, was a list of like things that priests should be doing, kind of like non negotiables. And so Hollowell and I actually would like go through the list of like, hey, are we doing this? What are we, what are we not doing? And it was then that um, you actually called me back because I sent you an email from your website. And but then you and I began having conversations. That is correct. I was on a, a fraternity week uh, with some of my classmates, uh, Father Brian Stitt, Father Michael Diascanis, uh, down in Florida. And that's actually when you and I actually kind of began having some conversations uh, about just like a little bit more deeper about the priesthood and what was happening within the church. And you happen to know Father Michael Diascanis. So, but it, it actually began, yeah, on the silent retreat that I had made that year, uh, Father 
At that point, Father Hollowell, a very dear friend of mine, didn't even know that he had cancer, uh, which ended up, you know, here I am through three, he's had three surgeries since then and lives with me now going through chemo and radiation. But yeah, it actually began uh, in December of 2019. That's, uh, that's when, when we actually met each other. Very good. So, Father, this podcast, I'd like it to last for three days. Yeah, uh, not sorry. Three minutes. There, there's so much that you and I that I'd like to bust wide open. Uh, so you just mentioned Father Hollowell, and I just uh, I, earlier I introduced you as the cross country coach, and and now you have thirty thousand best friends from around the world that that tune in to check you out. Uh, your latest homily, your latest uh, sort of Advent or Lenten reflection, uh, they can't get enough of you. Um, and and the two things that come to mind, Father, are fatherhood and joy. It seems to me, and we'll just we'll just break it wide open here. So Father Hollowell, a year and a half ago, realized or whenever it was he that he had cancer. And he said, you know what, I'm going to offer the chemo, the radiation and the invasive brain surgery for the victims of sexual abuse from clergy. What's a father do? He takes things on. So one surgery to the next surgery to the next surgery. He's been through he's been through hell. But still get on my back. You who have suffered. Yeah, I guess I'm suffering, but you have suffered worse. Many of you have left the faith. Many of you have become suicidal, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's one form of fatherhood. I will die for you. I will offer myself as a libation of, of love for your sufferings. And then you have the father, Jonathan Meyer, fatherhood. Um, you're a cross-country coach who's always trying to encourage and help young men to do their best. You're, you're a priest, and, and Father, correct any of this if I'm wrong. You're a priest who adores the Eucharistic face of Jesus. Every day, two hours of Eucharistic adoration, um, daily Mass every day. Um, you can't get enough of trying to take your flock and lead them closer to Jesus Christ, lead them to heaven, really. Um, it's that spiritual dimension of the fatherhood that, that I was so uh, drawn to in your priesthood. And I wonder... During this day, we're still is the lingering effects of, of, of COVID. Um, I, I, I think I saw last week or two weeks ago that COVID dispensation was finally lifted in your diocese. So, so I wonder, what, what do American Catholics, for the most part, when they think of the fatherhood in the church, it seems to me they don't often see the fatherhood of Father Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Hollowell or Father Jonathan Meyer. They might see a different form of fatherhood. I don't want to put you on the spot, but what kind of fatherhood should Catholics see from their bishops and their clergy at dioceses throughout the country? Yeah, I think Kevin, I think it's a great question. I think it's one that that as we come out of COVID nineteen, I think we're going to see, in a very true sense, like one of the litmus tests of, of parishes is going to be like where where was the priest in the midst of COVID nineteen, and. If you ask the question, like, what do parishioners and what does the world need right now? Well, just ask this, the question, like, what is what does a young man need? What does a young child need? They need a, a father who's going to, like, give everything. Like, the, the priesthood is spiritual fatherhood. And you and I have talked about this before, but I, I think for, for me as a priest, the image that I continually go to for, for my inspiration of of being a good and holy priest, you know, first and foremost, the saints, first and foremost, of course, you know, 
our Eucharistic Lord. But like, I, I always go to the image of like my dads in my parish that have six, seven, eight, nine. I have a family with 11 kids. And I look at my life compared to them. And like, no, that has to be my inspiration. Like, and I'm a father. I, I mean, right now, like I have a thousand registered families on July 7th. I'll be gaining 1500 more families. Like I'm, I'm the father of all of those children. And so what does my life look like as, as, as an actual father? Uh, and I often find that there's this very, there's this very wide chasm uh, in the life of a priest compared to life of an actual natural father who has many children. And I think that there's something actually really wrong with that. I think that, there, that we should be living our lives much more in union with each other, but they're actually very, 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 there's a huge chasm. And the problem is that the vast majority of priests live without fatherhood and they live without sacrifice and they live without poverty and they live uh, really a very comfortable bachelor life. And people always feel sorry for them all the time. And it drives me crazy uh, how, like I'm, I'm, I'm taking on three more parishes on July 7th. And so currently right now I'm like, introducing myself to parish councils and to staffs. And I, I, I've been blessed. I'm, I'm working with another priest. And in every single meeting, this brother priest of mine has said, we realize that what we're taking on is a lot. But if you ever hear a parishioner say, oh, I'm not going to call father. He's too busy. I'm not going to bother father. He's, he's, he's just so busy to literally take out your cell phone, call us for them and hand them the phone because we are never too busy for our children. We are never too busy for our children. And like as a, as a sacramental priest, as, as the image of Christ to my people, like my life should be, you know, literally I'm, I'm espoused, I'm wedded to my people. And I, I think that whole theology of, the self-sacrificial gift, this emptying, this kenosis has, has been robbed of the priesthood. And this is the time when we need it more than ever, is, is, is real men who want to be fathers to their flock. Father, is the reason why we're suffering today as a church is because priests are too comfortable? Yeah, and it's not just priests. It's, it's, and, and so, yeah, actually, we'll, we'll say priests because bishops became priests. Uh, bishops who were originally priests. Okay. So, so much of the so so much of the suffering. You know, I live with Father Hollowell, who's offering up the sacrifices for the sexual clergy abuse. I mean, when we look at the victims, when we look at those priests who who, who abused and literally like destroyed these children's lives, and then we look at the cover up. But behind it is all comfort. Behind it is all this, this desire to not suffer, to, to not embrace, to not take on. And that, that, that culture of comfort is one that, that as a priest, like I should run from. I mean, as a priest, I should be running towards the cross and leading my flock to the cross, not running from it and looking for comfort. And yet comfort is like is very much consumed the life of the church. Yeah, Father, it, it seems to me that many priests and even bishops have nailed their vocation to the cross of administrative duties, something that is not nailing themselves to the cross of pouring out their blood to save an immortal soul. 
almost like crucifying themselves through their vocation to save souls. And that demands work. And I've always thought, Father, that, and, and, and tell me if I'm off base here, that if the Catholic Church, this is even before McCarrick scandal, before COVID, you know, we were, we were sort of bleeding out back then, um, you know, that the Pope, the bishops, the cardinals are not going to change things. Catholic authors, theologians, flashy YouTube videos, um, evangelists, they're not going to save this Catholic Church. The idea I always had was that the Catholic Church is ever going to come back to this place that Jesus sort of whispered into the ear of Peter 2,000 years ago. It was going to happen through the day-to-day witness of the holy, joy-filled, sacrificial parish priest. Because day in and day out, or maybe every Sunday, the lady are going to see, maybe I don't like how pastor's coming at me today or how father's saying this about how I'm parenting or fathering. But the fact is he cares for my soul. And when they embrace this and understand it, then what happens is there's this, he's trying to lead me to heaven. I always thought it was the priest that was the biggest outside the finger of God that could lead people back to this place of grace. Yeah, no, I think that's a, so what you're saying there is, is, is definitely true. In fact, it was a huge aspect of my vocation. So when I entered into seminary, uh, I was kind of lukewarm and so that, that, once again, a whole other podcast there. I, I was pro-choice and didn't believe in the Eucharist and a bit of rosary. But once I came to faith really in the seminary and began to read and understand, my first thought was like, I need to leave the diocesan priesthood because I looked at the diocesan priesthood and I was just like, I don't see any saints and so I actually discerned uh, some time with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal because I wanted to sleep on the floor and I wanted to live a life of poverty. And I wanted to live a life of zeal. And I, I, I just didn't see it. I didn't see it. So I said, I need to leave. And um, it was really a powerful retreat experience. Uh, my second year in major theology that our Lord just kind of presented to me like St. Francis and St. John Vianney. And was just kind of like, okay, here's the difference. One of them lives in community and one of them lives in the parish, which is a community. And it was really kind of that choice. Like, but then with it was what as well was also like the impact, like where, and and, and for me, like looking back at my own, like teenage years and childhood, I was just like, if I had had a priest, you know, that engaged the young people engaged, like my life would have been different. I wouldn't have gone through the suffering that I had gone through, uh, you know, spiritually in the moral life, but also like, I mean, because I really didn't know the Lord. And I I look at that a lot of the fact of like the the parish model that, that I experienced as a young person and like, it was very broken and I hadn't been engaged. And, and so it was really at that point, like in prayer with our Lord, I was just like, okay, like Lord, like, okay, like I'm going to be a diocesan priest because that's where the rubber hits the road is the parish life is where it happens. And so many people are suffering in their parishes and I want to go where there is a great need. And it's been amazing. It's been a, it's been nothing, but a, I mean, it really has been nothing, but like a great, great blessing and a great joy to, to serve as a diocesan priest. Amen, Father. Is it is it fair to say that you have picked from the greatest paragon of parish priests 
John Vianney, the cure of ours, and said, this is the model. This is the one that I am going to shoot for. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, very much so. Like j- j- just, yeah. Once again, thanks be to God. I'm very, very thankful that I, he, I encountered him so early in my priesthood. And when I read, you know, his very thick 500 some page biography, I just was like, this is the blueprint. This is the model. This is how every priest should live their life. And I'm going to try to do that. So let's go, like, let's, let's do it and let's see what happens. And I think it is interesting to like look at Vienni and say, okay, so what does Vienni's life look like in the year 2021? Or I was ordained 17 years ago, 2003. And, you know, it's been a great 17 year journey of trying to live that out and figure that out. Would John Vianney be canceled today? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the great thing. <laughs> The great thing about John Vianney, of course, is that he would have been assigned to the smallest parish in the diocese that <laughs> that is, uh, you know, off the grid uh, and, you know, great things would start happening. And then it is kind of the fact of like, how do you how do you cancel the guy that we sent to the worst parish in the diocese that people are now traveling to to go and see? I mean, it is interesting when you think about. Uh, yeah, what happened to him? And uh, you, you're, you're kind of protected in that way when when you get ostracized. Uh, but then you keep doing great things and God is clearly bearing fruit uh, through through your priesthood. Oh, Father, the, the timing, the timing of things. One of my best friends, a priest friend, is currently uh, undergoing. I think he's loading the moving van right now because he took something on at his uh, at his parish school uh, that Black Lives Matter was was based or, or sort of formed by Marxists and and sort of um, protected a bully, someone who was getting bullied at school. And, and then, um, six months later, he's finding himself going out to, to a, to a parish that has, uh, less, less, uh, less prisoners than those on the Hickory basketball team in 1942. Uh, God bless him. So, and, and we saw last week that, um, father James Altman was removed from his pastorship as at, at his parish. So, so I, so it begs the question, why would you take the prophetic voice, those that, like Vianney, um, are going to do whatever they can to do one thing, to lead souls to heaven. And, you know, they step into indelicate, tough things, but they must proclaim the fullness of the gospel. Why take this holy man and say, ah, you know what? It's too much. You're going to the country. Um, well, I think with Vianney, I think it's interesting because, like, with Vianney, they really, I think they really didn't know. I mean, if, if we look at it, for, for him particularly, it was so young in his priesthood and he really was being sheltered by, 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 by his, by really his mentor in life who then died. Um, you know, he was ordained with, with the inability to hear confessions because they were concerned about his morality because they didn't know what, because, because he really didn't go to seminary. He was homeschooled in a certain sense, which was just, Shout out to homeschoolers, by the way. Like, if you need a patron saint, like, you should be praying to St. John Vianney because he really is uh, a patron saint of homeschoolers because he was homeschooled through seminary. Uh, but he, he's an interesting character in that sense that I think, like, they didn't really know. They really didn't know what they had. Um, I do think that, the, you know, the, 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 the famous quote of, of the great Monsignor that sent him said, um, you know, there is little love of God there 
you know, you will have to bring them that love. I do even think like in that, like you can look at that as like, they knew, they knew that he would do it. Like they, there's very little love of God there. You'll have to bring it. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, he was clearly put to the worst parish in the diocese. And, uh, but I've taken over, <laughs> taken over many parish situations in my priesthood this far. And I'll just tell you, I'd rather take over a horrible parish than a great parish because a horrible parish is totally set up for people that are starving, even though they might not know it and they're stuck in their complacency. But like if, when you take it over, uh, after a rough priest or a rough situation, I'll, I'll take, I'll take that any day. Uh, All right. So, so father, you set, you set up this question. Let's say you get transferred to Indianapolis, the big city to the cathedral, uh, next month. And in this parish, uh, we're just going to go at it right now. Joe Biden is seen as a model Catholic. Uh, you can be pro-choice and it's acceptable. You know, you know, it's all about choice. Um, and look, we need to be compassionate to those that love each other in a unique way. So Father Jonathan Meyer steps in as pastor. Um, what does Father Jonathan Meyer do in this in this cathedral? Okay, so actually I'm going to use uh, both Father Aloysius Schwartz and Father John Vianney here. St. John Vianney uh, as a model. So number one, uh, I am going to preach and I'm going to correct, but I'm also going to do the, what, what, and this is something I think about St. John Vianney's life that doesn't get talked enough about, which I think is actually has a great connection to Father Al's life. I would radically serve the poor. I think what oftentimes we see in the church, we see harsh preaching, but we see a soft life being lived in the rectory, or we see, um, we see this dichotomy of I'm going to live this like traditional life of priesthood, but that I'm not actually going to be literally out in the streets serving the poor. John Vianney founded and literally built with his own hands a house for orphans. And it, it, it's one of the aspects of, of Vianney's life, which I think is, is, is not spoken about enough. The, the, the comprehensive look of Vianney is not just someone who preached like a lion, who heard confessions like around the clock and who had a devotion to the Eucharist that's like, you know, like never seen before. Like those aspects of his priesthood, which is what everyone talks about, you know, he fasts, he does this. But like, can we also talk about the compassion and the mercy and the love? Because I, I truly do believe that like, when you have the fullness of it, I'm willing to get dirty. I'm willing to smell like the sheep. I'm, how do you argue with that? Yeah, you also then preach the truth. But I think the authentic witness is what gives you the credibility to be able to preach the truth authoritatively and then not be able to be, let's say, as offended as they might be. Um, of course, it's, it's a different world right now with cancel culture and the media and but I think what would I do if I was put in a situation like that? Um, well, I would uh, be among the poor. I would love the poor. I would feed the poor. And when you see compassion and mercy and love being lived out in a really, really profound way, it's pretty hard to argue with. Uh, when you make people uncomfortable because you're actually living the gospel, they actually begin to listen in a more profound way. Does that make any sense? 
Father made perfect sense. Thank you. you. You got right back to the question. Yeah, you you live the gospel as a parish priest, and then maybe you influence and change minds. And when you preach, you preach the truth, but they also know that you're um, that you're in the trench. You're grinding away. So so you're going to be more trustworthy as their as their vanny like lion pastor. So it's, well, it's it's like, it's like Pope Benedict XVI says that like our world no longer listens to teachers. Our Lord. Uh, no, our world no longer listens to teachers. Our world needs witnesses. And that's what Vienni gave. Like Vienni was actually, I mean, like scholastically, he was he was not a good preacher. I, I, mean, I wrote my master's thesis on his preacher. Like he, he wasn't a good preacher. Uh, but he preached with his whole entire life. And that's the call, not just of, of diocesan priests. That's the call of every Christian. That's the call of every father. Do I preach to my children self-sacrificial love? Is it a call of every mother? Do I preach to my children self-sacrificial love? It's the call of every deacon, every bishop. Like, like actions speak louder than words. Like, so what you say on Sunday means nothing if you aren't living it Monday through Saturday. And if you aren't living it in, in, in a witness fashion. Well, yeah, that's it. That's everything. Everything is based in sacrifice. You know, Father Al used to tell the sisters, he, he founded the order of the Sisters of Mary. He said, the way we serve is sacrificially for immortal souls. We shed the blood of Christ. The way we serve is to have a constant crown of thorns. He knew that until the orphans or the tubercular or the homeless beggars or the unwed mothers saw themselves being served, they wouldn't, they wouldn't believe them. So, just a few more questions and we'll wrap up. So Father, why? All that said, so Father Al, for instance, understood the magnitude of what he wanted to do in post-Korean War Korea that just that, that, that had tens of thousands of, of just devastated souls in the streets. And he said, I want them all. I want to put them all on my back. In a certain sense, he wanted to be Atlas for the poor. So he said, well, you know, I'm going to move into a shack because I need, to, I need to absorb the poverty of Christ stretched out on the cross. I will sleep on the floor. I will have no plumbing, electricity. I will have no comforts. But it's in that starkness, that austerity, that I will absorb St. Anthony of the Desert, John Vianney, who he loved, the Carmelite mystics, who he loved. I will absorb Christ so I can leave this shack and I can be a shaft of light to the poor. Why today do bishops live in opulence? Why today do they have chefs, cachet? Why do they have chauffeurs? Why, why do priests live in pretty comfortable rectories? Why, when the answer is Father Al Schwartz, who saved literally hundreds of thousands of bodies and souls by living in poverty, and John Vianney, they built a new train line from Lyon to, to, to ours, as you know, where tens of thousands of souls just... I, there's a father down there. I, I want to see that father. Why do we do the opposite today? Yeah, so because we're insane. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And mediocrity and minimalism reign. And this is not just in the life of bishops, but this is, this is in everyone's life. We choose to do what we have always done because it's all we know. 
priests particularly and bishops, I mean, like character structure wise, if you ran out like, you know, a quick psychological analysis on them, you would find a bunch of intellectuals. You wouldn't find a bunch of artists. And intellectuals read and they do what's been done and we're a church of tradition. So I, I do what I've seen done before and this is what I know. And in a certain sense, like we need a bunch of artists to move in, to recreate and to repaint uh, what actually is true and beautiful and good. And not to say that we don't have the saints who have, who have, who have charted that course before, but I find this again, even like with, with like priests and how they celebrate the mass and celebrate the liturgy, they, they do just what they did last week. And I always say like, it's a tragedy for for young seminarians who don't experience the mass celebrated authentically and in, 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 a, in, a, in a truly uh, the, the the fullness of the liturgy because they're they, they will ultimately just do whatever they've seen like we do what we've seen and mediocrity um, the major, it's really hard for a lot of people to create something that they haven't experienced themselves it's it's hard for a lot of people to create something they haven't seen or experienced themselves. So we just do what we know. We do what we're comfortable with. And what we're comfortable with is mediocrity. What we're comfortable with is what we've seen before. Um, there's this great phrase, <clears throat> excuse me, that I use with my athletes. It's called fearing the plateau. That if you want to be a successful athlete, if you want to be successful in anything, you want to be successful in business, you want to be successful uh, in being a saint, you can never, ever settle. You can never, ever settle. And the same is true with being a saint. Like the penances that I'm doing today, I can't settle for those in six months from now or in two years from now. If I did Exodus 90, you know, like three years ago or whatever it was, like I need to constantly be talking in relationship with our Lord and be like, Lord, what are you asking of me now? Like, what are you calling to me now? Like Olympic athletes aren't doing the workouts they did two years ago. They're doing more. And we have settled so much. Like this is just, this is, this is how diocesan priests live. This is how bishops live. And we accept something that's actually not working. Like clearly it's not working. Like every data point will point to the fact that the church is epically bleeding and hemorrhaging. I mean, you know, the, 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 I can, I always call it like my little like reality check. Like if we look at the Catholic church today, 70% of people don't believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. 36% of Catholics are pro-choice in every presidential election. They have, they have, as a body, we have voted for the pro-choice candidate. Um, for every one person that joins the church, six people leave. For those one person who joins the church through RCIA, in five years, 50% of them leave the church. For the Among young adult Catholics, the percentage of young adult Catholics that, that, that believe that the church teaches on homosexuality and transgender are wrong is, is, is somewhere in the 90% percentile. We have epically failed. We, have, are, are, we, we, are, we are literally bleeding. And you don't see anyone out there really saying like, we really need to change the way that we operate our parishes, the way that we live our priesthood, the way that we catechize and teach needs to change. We're just like, no, yeah, you want to what? 
um, you know, we've always kind of lived this way. So this is what we, oh, what are you doing for Christmas this year? What did we do last year? Uh, what did you do for Lent last year? Oh, well, we'll just do that again this year. No, like we need to wake up. And this is one of the great things I love about like the saints, like St. John Vianney and Father Al is like, <laughs> the last thing they were doing was looking around and saying like, well, what's everybody else doing? <laughs> I, I just want to do what they're doing. What's the new program that someone made up with that has a six part DVD series? Because that's going to save my parish. If I get more people to do this six part DVD series, then everything's going to be great. Really? Because I think a lot of other parishes are doing that six part DVD series. And um, yeah, all of their children are still not going to mass on Sunday and uh, their confession lines are empty. So yeah, I think why do so many bishops, priests, and lay faithful like live the way they do? Because we've settled on the plateau. You know, we we're living on the plateau and we're totally okay with the plateau. And mediocrity is the norm. Father Mar, could you be more candid next time? Yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> Just tell me what you want me to do. Hey, so Father Myers says. Stick some stairs, a staircase on the plateau. It's just completely unacceptable. Uh, so, Father, I, I, la last question before we sign out here. What would you encourage laity, intentional Catholic lady? You know, we're, we're just boilerplate, blue-collar Catholic lady. We love Mary. We pray the rosary. We, we, we hit the holy hour as often as we can. You know, you know, we know we need to confession once a month at least. Uh, we love the mass, especially when it's celebrated, celebrated liturgically beautiful. What would you encourage the lady out there when they sense in their pastor or associate sort of that reluctance to embrace that staircase on the plateau or that are looking around at this parish and that parish or maybe have nailed themselves to the cross of administrative duties rather than the cross of saving souls? How can we go up to our pastor and say, Father, you know, I sense a few things that I'd like to, I'd like to sort of bear my soul to you. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that's a challenging question. <laughs> the conversion of church leadership is, is uh, a monumental task. So let me just say a few things here. Number one, uh, if you're listening to this, I, I want to thank you, particularly if you've made it this long into the podcast and haven't given up. Uh, but so number one, thank you for listening. Number two, fasting, like what did Our Lady of Fatima say? Fast and pray. So to fast and pray for priests. And I mean that, like fast and pray for priests. Uh, number three, like there is something, like the Holy Spirit is clearly doing something amazing in the church. Um, I think priests know it. Like I was ordained 17 years ago and like where the church is at right now. And we can talk about like the scandals and things of the sort, but like, where we are at now, catechetically, liturgically, um, and what's happening in the church, like, like we're in a better place. And I know that like they, they, it might be hard for people to like, but we really are. We are we are really in a better place. Uh, Seventeen years ago, when I was ordained, like we're using glass chalices and uh, catechesis is a total like total mess, and so we are we're in a good place. Okay, priests know that, but I think they need encouragement. I think there is there is so much fear and they just need to be encouraged. So, and I, I'm not saying, and Kevin did not tell me to say this, but like, if, if your pastor has not read the priest, we need to see the church, the, the priest, we need to save the church, 
you need to hand them that book and say, Father, like, you know, just read this book and heard from a brother priest that, that this is a book, you know, that you, you might enjoy or, uh, you know, the new book uh, that, that, you know, that Kevin just wrote on, on Father Al, like that you need to get that in the hand of your brother, of, of your pastor. Um, so I think that authentic witness to be able to like share with, with, with others what God has done. So in, in the lives of other priests, um, number three, I think that like the lay faithful need to keep doing what they're doing to push the church forward. <clears throat> if there's like Exodus 90, I know, I know there was a priest engaged like in, in, in Exodus 90 and his foundation, but like Exodus 90 is a totally lay run movement at this point. Like the laity need to keep pushing the church forward. And if you're a man out there, like you need to invite your priest to do Exodus 90. I have brother priests um, that doing Exodus 90 has transformed their lives. And I'm not saying I'm not, that's one program. It's one way, but like, you need to invite your brother priest to, you know, join your men's group that's doing great things. Not your men's group that's doing the second like a bunch of pansies. We don't need that, but we need <clears throat> to be like in. We need to invite brother priests uh, deeper into that. Um, I think we just yeah. I, I'll just I'll stop there. But it's hard. But you you have to just keep going. You have to keep inviting um, with joy. With joy. Priests are turned off very much so by bitter people who seem angry um, and they put them in a box and they ignore them. And so it has to be with joy and with an authentic desire uh, for their soul. And a lot of priests, like once again, they know it. They just need to be encouraged because they've never seen it done before. Some priests want to celebrate mass beautifully, but they have no idea how to like train sacristans, train servers. They, it's, it's not their fault, but we are not taught in seminary how to bring about change. We're not. We're, we're, we're actually taught the exact opposite. We're taught in seminary, do not change things, do not make adjustments, go into your parish, bury your head for six months or a year before you would ever change anything, which is all like, by the way, terrible, horrible advice. But that we don't have often the tools necessary to bring about change. And so that's another way that you can help a priest as well. Be like, hey, Father, are, like genuinely, Father, do you want the servers trained better? Father, would you like me to help you know, bring this about. Uh, Father, would you like to do a catechetical series for us and teach us about the early fathers or the mystics? We'll take care of everything. You just have to show up and talk. Like, we'll take care of the food, take care of the advertising. Like, part of it is like priests need help. Um, it's not always their gift to create uh, or to renew, but you can help them to do that. Um, yeah, Father, do you do you want all your homilies online? Because I know that you have no idea how to do that, Father. But we can make that happen for you. That's what happened to me. Like I would never be online, like because I mean I have a flip phone. I don't, I don't, like I don't, I don't do technology. And a, a parishioner came up to me one Sunday after I'd, I'd arrived here. It was my third week, and he's like, "Hey, Father, can I videotape your homilies and put them online?" I'm like, "Sure." And that then led to our YouTube channel, which had like you know a few thousand subscribers. Which then, but when when the pandemic hit. We, we, we then had a platform that was all ready. And the next thing you know, you know, we're online three times a day with two holy hours and a daily mass. And that then allowed us to have the availability to, to do great things. But that was all done by lay people. That was, that was like, so I think also just making yourself available to the priests that you know God is working through. And then I say this lastly, and like some people are not going to like this, but you need to support the priests that are really out there trying to do it. 
And if that means that like you have to go to their parish and like not go to your parish, I'm just going to say like it's 2021 and you can't, I, I know that you love your parish and like, that's great. And like support your parish however you need to, but like if there are priests out there in your area that are, that are rocking it and that are, that are doing their holy hours and are fasting and being disciplined, you need to go and you need to support them. And, and you, your children need that and your soul needs that. I, it amazes me how many faithful Catholics continue like, well, my priest is like, his preaching is terrible and mass is horrible, but like, I can't leave the parish. But you're angry at mass every Sunday? Why are you angry? Stop being angry. You need to go to a place where you can literally like, the goal of every Christian should be contemplative prayer. How, how are you entering a contemplative prayer when you're angry all the time? And you know what is true and you're not hearing it and you know what the liturgy should be and it's not happening. Like you need to go and like be with the Lord in a, in a powerful way. So I mean, I'll, I'll stop. No, Father, I'm with you 100%. Um, I, I just am. I, I'm living it. We're traveling an hour to mass every morning. with a, We have a parish across the street that I could limp to in five minutes, but, but it's not a bad parish, but I needed... <laughs> My wife, my family needed um, a liturgically beautiful mass with a priest that we sensed um, was was really working hard to just get our butts into heaven. So, so if I and, and I want to, we, we're going to cut out now. But before I do, so Father said a few minutes ago that it was the lady that sort of opened up all saints to the world through YouTube. But the root of it was its pastor, and it was I think these thirty thousand folks see joy it's that sacrificial witness that we talked about a while back in the podcast um the daily holy hours the 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 daily uh the the, the office five times a day being prayed um just just uh, the talks just the pouring father meyer pours himself into his priesthood and, and into the flock and the world was hungering for this dimension of spiritual fatherhood so with that said uh father thank you very much i i um Father was kind enough to to pre-read Priest and Beggar, The Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. Ignatius Press just released it a few days ago. Um, I encourage you, if, if, you, if you made it to this point of the podcast, to, to read the book because it's a story about an American superhero who died, who spilled his blood, lived in a shack, gave up all, like the Annie, like Father Meyer is striving to do every day because he'll never plateau. And he saved the world. He he transformed much of the world, Philippines, Mexico, Korea, all over. Yeah. So with that said, Father, thank you for endorsing the book. Father, would you please give us a blessing before we sign off here? Yeah, we'll definitely do so. And yeah, I just want to encourage the book. I was able to read it and it is inspiring. Once again, this is a book that you should be getting into the hand of every seminary and every priest that you know. You should buy it for them. And you should put it in their hand and say, Father, I, I read this book and it is amazing and you need to read it. Um, and it needs to get in the hands of seminarians as soon as possible because the seminarians, like, and I, like I'm not like, I'm sorry for going on again, Kevin, but like, like the seminarians, they're the ones who are more formable and are more readily available to, to, to allowing their hearts to be converted and to see a witness and to change their lives. I'm not saying that like priests once ordained, like are, you know, they're unchangeable, but it, it's a lot harder 
once you live and you settle into mediocrity and you settle into the norm of priestly life, that your ideals just get, get, get crushed so easily. There's a whole, once again, a whole other podcast, but like so many priests get crushed so easily that it's really, really hard for them to change their patterns. Um, but for young men, so important, so important. Not to mention that every lay faithful should read it because they should have an ideal of a priesthood that's more than what they're seeing in their parish. So it, it really is a great book. I wanted to strongly encourage it. But yes, let us pray. The Lord be with you and with what? your spirit. Heavenly Father, through the intercession of the saints, the angels, the martyrs, and every priest in heaven, I ask that you send your blessing upon those who have listened to this podcast and all those who seek your will to be a saint. Bless them, protect them, watch over them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. We'll see you down the road. God bless.